We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 6 today. Galatians chapter 6, next week we will finish the book. And uh, one of our few times we've gone through a book, uh, I like to do that. We've gone through some small books, and now we've gone through a book of six chapters. And I've been really enjoying studying, preparing, and sharing with you. Uh, I heard about a couple old guys who decided to go golfing. Actually, uh, one was in his 70s and one was in his 80s. And the one who was in his 70s, his wife wanted to get him out of the house. She said, why don't you go golf? And he says, you know, honey, I can't see the ball. I see it when I start to swing. I see it when I hit it. But when it goes out there, I can't see it. And I don't know where it is. She said, well, bring your brother along. He has real good eyesight. He was 85. So she said, all right, between the two of us. So they went out and he had a real good, you know, he hit it and drove it out there couldn't see it. And his brother-in-law was, you know, there. And he said, how did I do? He said, you hit it real well. He said, well, where is it? He said, I don't remember. (laughs) Getting old is not for sissies. Galatians chapter six. Um, Turkey, of course, the country of Turkey is where Galatia would be today, where it was. It was in, under the control of Rome at this time, and Turkey wasn't a world, you know, world nation. But uh, the churches in Galatia were started by Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journey. And then years later, Paul writes, because the gospel was clear, they were saved by faith, and then the Judaizers came in and tried to bring the law back in. Uh, the word legalist is synonymous with Judaizers. And we know this is a letter of rebuke. Paul is rebuking the gullible Galatians because it was primarily a Galatian church. And he's rebuking the legalistic Jews for bringing this legalism in, saying you had to be circumcised to go to heaven. And that's the true definition of legalism. Sometimes in the modern day, we want to call someone who's a legalist because they're extremely strict or something. But that's not really what a legalist is. We do use that term loosely, don't we? But these were what the biblical definition of legalism was. They were people who brought the law back into the church. And so here... Uh, we're talking today about really sowing and reaping. That's the, the context today. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. Some people want to sow wild oats on Monday through Saturday, but then they pray on Sunday for crop failure uh, because they are going to church and now they're going to hear the truth. And so this is that letter rebuking that thought process. So we're looking at chapter 6 and verse 7. Stand, we'll read this text today. Last Sunday, for the sake of time, I didn't read my text over in John. We were in John last week. We're in Galatians today. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of his flesh reap corruption. And he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap or we shall reap if we faint not. And then he says, as we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith. Let's pray. God, we ask you to bless us as we take a look in the book for a walk in the world, that we will glean some handfuls on purpose that you have left for us to find. And we thank you for that little handfuls on purpose coming from Boaz, telling his Uh, men that work the field, to leave some handfuls on purpose for Ruth. And Lord, you give us much more than just handfuls. 
You give us all we want because your word is forever settled in heaven and it's just full of truth. Bless us now in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. We're looking at sowing and reaping today. Now remember, the Bible didn't have chapter divisions, so you just keep thinking and reading on. We know that we talked about the works of the flesh. We talked about the fruit of the Spirit, singular. There's ninefold fruit. There's a ninefold fruit there. And then we talked about some of the, the part, or some of the fruit of the Spirit, and one of them was rebuking someone in the spirit of meekness. And we talked about bearing one another's burdens, that word burrow as the word bear. And then we talked about taking care of your pastor in verse six, the one who teaches you the word, and you do such a good job on that. But we continue on with the thought, and we, we have to go to 1 Corinthians chapter nine. We're gonna go to four passages today outside of Galatians. This will be the first one. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He had just talked about taking care of the pasture. And we, we mentioned you can't muzzle the ox that treads the corn. Not that I'm an ox. But uh, your pastor sometimes lives off the church, doesn't he? And I'm thankful for all the things you do in, in kindness to me. I don't really like to preach a message where it talks about your pastor, but it is in the text, and so I can't ignore it. But we find here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11 and verse 14. Verse 11 says, If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? You understand that. Verse 14. Even so hath the Lord ordained that we which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Do you know they even charged people for things in the temple to even enter places? And there was also a temple tax, and you can study Jesus and how he one time paid the tax miraculously. But today we're looking at our context back in Galatians and moving from this verse 6, we move into verse 7 and continuing the same context. He says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. This word deceived uh, is translated in Hebrews eleven thirty eight 38 to wander. We could say, be not misled. Don't, don't wander away from the truth. And the grammar here in the original is stop being deceived. They were already deceived by the Judaizers, weren't they? Some of them started to believe, well, I got to go get circumcised. I'm an adult. That's a painful experience. I've got to do that to be part of the covenant of God. And, and Paul rebukes that. He said, stop being deceived. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. I was reading one scholar who talked about Ananias and Sapphira. And he talked about the word mocking, meaning to turn up your nose, to sneer, to ridicule, to laugh at. And I thought, well, I didn't see that in the text of Ananias and Sapphira. But the scholar pointed out that they certainly knew when they gave what they were supposed to give. But God knew their hearts and knew they were, I'm not doing that. And that angered God. I find it fascinating in the Bible. We find passages and we say, boy, wasn't God hard on them? Wasn't God hard on David when David counted? God knew his heart, didn't he? He was thinking, boy, we've got a powerful military and, and I'm, the, you know, I'm the commander in chief here. Wasn't God hard uh, on uh, the sons of Noah when the Bible said they simply looked on him? Well, that Hebrew word can be translated other ways, but God knew the heart of that son and that line was cursed of Ham, right? And so God knows the heart. And so he knew the heart of Ananias and Sapphira. And he's saying here, God is not mocked. Haven't we said here over and over, every knee shall bow. The people that sneer at God, the arrogant people who don't need God, 
you know, they're going to one day beg God, please forgive me. But it's too late if you don't do it in this life. And so be not deceived. God is not mocked. I love how Paul uses metaphors. In the Bible, we find him using fighting, you know, boxing. Uh, we find him using wrestling, uh, athletes. He uses builders. Here he's using farmers as his metaphor. He's going to use the illustration of farmers and apply this to spiritual principles. He, he says here, whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Isn't that interesting? Now, some of the laws of agriculture, first one we're going to mention is we reap what we sow. Well, if you plant uh, radish seeds, you're not going to get green beans. I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. And when you sow sin, you're going to reap sin. You're going to reap sin. And so be careful what you sow. When you sow seeds of righteousness, you'll reap that. You know why I'm standing here today? Of course, because of God first, we give him all the glory. But I had a great grandfather. The guy with the pigeons, you know, they, you know, some of you didn't hear that joke, but the, the woodpecker would knock on the door and the pigeon would deliver the message. They merged the two and, and obviously they got a great messenger. But he was a believer. And my great grandmother, the Dehans, were believers. And my grand, great grandpa Mao and Scudder were believers who made their kids go to church and sit in a pew and listen to preaching. And my grandparents were all believers and my dad and mom were believers and I had to go to church. When you sow seed, it goes on for generations and generations. We reap what we sow. Some of you say, oh, pastor, I made some mistakes as a parent and oh, I'm reaping now. You wish you could go back. But we don't get do-overs. Second of all, look at Luke 6, 38. I said we'll go to four places. This is number two. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. And many of you know this verse. But second of all, I want to say we reap after we sow. We reap after we sow. Luke 6, 38, you know the verse. Give and it should be given unto you. Future tense. Give now to be given unto you. God's going to take care of your needs. And, and, and good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men give to your bosom. For with the same measure ye meet with all, it shall be measured unto you again. We reap after we sow. Years ago, I... We purchased our first home on Bicentennial Trail in Rock Spring back in the 80s. We loved that little place and it had a nice view. We came home after furlough. They put a chicken coop behind. We lost fresh air. Got a different kind of air. But I remember when I bought that place, I thought, you know, I've always wanted fruit trees. And I went out and I bought a little apple tree, peach, pear, and plum. Thought I'll cover the bases. I planted them out there. What if the next week I went to the store and complained and said, listen, I bought your fruit trees and there's not any apples or anything on any of them. You'd say, what an idiot he is. It's going to take years to get apples. And remember that when it comes to sowing good seeds or bad seeds, you will reap at some point in time. I love these scripture verses. They're kind of scary, though. I used to hear a guy always say, the wheels of justice turned slowly, but they turned, and then he fell morally. And I thought, I don't know about quoting that, but that's a good saying, isn't it? The wheels of justice turn slowly, but they turn. Everyone will reap what they sow. And, and this is not just here and now. It's here and now and later. Eternally, people will reap what they've sown. Because every knee will bow. No one's gotten by with anything in this world. God's going to open the books, the Bible says. Boy, he keeps good records. 
You got a good memory. And so he's going to judge. Listen to Ecclesiastes 8.11, because sentence against evil work is not executed speedily. I still reap things that I did when I was a teenager. I wished I hadn't done it. In two years, I go back, a little less than two years, for my 20th high school reunion. No, my 50th. (laughs) And I will probably not go back. Because my brothers and I were ruffians. We got in fights. We stopped ball games. We did a lot of stupid stuff. And I have some enemies. I went back one time to my hometown since leaving, since coming down here. And I went to a store and I saw one of our big old middle linebacker and fullback, big guy named Roger Wicker. And I walked in and said, hey, Roger, how you doing? He just went. (laughs) He didn't know I had changed. There's a new creation here. But back all those years ago, I made all those mistakes. And I still reap. It breaks my heart because I'd like to go to my hometown and say, go ahead and punch me. But I'd get punched quite a few times. <laughs> so I want to look at the register of who's gone on to see if I can go home for my 50th. I don't think I'll even go. But you understand that because some of you have sown some wild seed. But there's also some good seed. You see, when I got right with God at 19, one of the first things I did in my home was start a Bible study. Four guys came. You met one of them. Chuck works for the airline company in Carolina. And he got saved. He met his wife in Bible college. He's been a deacon living for God ever since. But there were two others. One of them is today an alcoholic. But there's another one. Rick is his name. Rick Wall. So uh, he always, no, no, no. He would come because we were friends, but he would never receive the Lord. He didn't want to go any further with that. He didn't really buy into all that was his word, were his words. And so Rick left, uh, went to California. His mom and dad died. Both his brothers died. He left the area bitter man. And I didn't hear from him for years. About 10 years ago, I get a call at my office and I answer it. He says, Dan, guess who this is? Of course, you never know. You know, it started with Abraham Lincoln and I went down the line. It wasn't him. <laughs> he said, Rick Wall. And I'm like, oh, wow. I want to tell you something. He said, I was in prison for selling drugs. And I got out of prison, uh, had dealing drugs across the border. I got out of prison and down, down and out, you know, had to start all over. He said, they don't give you a jump start when you get out of prison. He said, and I met a Christian lady and she led me to the Lord. He said, I've been saved 15 years. I go to church, read my Bible. And I've always wanted to tell you, so you see, those little seeds way back then came back to cause tears to run down my face. I thought, that's so awesome. Rick's saved now. And I just, to me, it's worth it all. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. I mean, isn't that something? And I mean, that just totally overwhelmed me. So we reap after we sow, sometimes a long time afterwards. So since those days, I had my wild oats that still could cost me, but I also, when I got right and started planting different seed, I've reaped, thank God, and it's so worth it all because I've come to know the Lord. But I think of Numbers 32:23. He says, be sure your sin will find you out. Boy, that's scary, isn't it? Jeremiah 17, 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. He said, I give to every man according to his ways. I mean, folks, we definitely reap. Some of you say, oh, I know, Pastor. 
I know about my kids and my grandkids. I heard a speaker on the radio the other day again say this. I've heard, I've heard it before and I said it, I don't know when, maybe once or twice here. One of the good speakers I like to hear the ladies that speak. I love to hear uh, uh, Billy Graham's uh, daughter. I think she's a lovely person. And Joni Erickson Tata, and she's something, you know, she's lived her life in a wheelchair. And there's a few of those. The other one went to the mission field, the Inca Indians, and her husband was killed. And I can't think of her name. It was one of those, and I can't remember. Not that my mind's not sharp, but it's just not quite good on the memory. I forget names every Sunday. I forget your name sometimes, and I've called you by name. But anyway, let's get off my memory. What was I talking about? No. Anyway. She, 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 said, she said, what you do in moderation, your kids often do in excess. Yeah. I don't know how many people I've had, even in this church, say, oh, pastor, I, I did some things. I had a bad relationship with a child, and it's really, really painful now. We understand that. The great thing about God is we make those mistakes. He's gracious. We confess it, it's over. So stop beating yourself up. But you know the, the rule, the law of sowing and reaping, the agricultural law, don't you? You understand that. If you're a yeller and you're yelling at your kids, your kids are going to yell at their kids. And you're going to say, don't yell at them. <laughs> we learn as we get older. And the third law, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, we reap more proportionately to what we sow. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. It says here, and I'm in 1 Corinthians. You didn't know I ever made mistakes. It's the first one in about five minutes. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Therefore, excuse me, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. Now, first of all, the grammar in the verse we read earlier from Galatians means to continue to sow. Just because you've witnessed to somebody one time, you just continue to do that. And the more you sow, the more you reap. And I think about corn. You plant corn, two or three seeds, they say, every little bed. And one little corn seed can yield a corn stalk that can have four ears of corn at 800 kernels an ear. That's reaping and sowing. So reap seeds of righteousness and you will sow seeds of righteousness and you will reap seeds of righteousness. That's just the law common to man, common to agriculture and common to God's word. That's why Paul uses this metaphor. We're not all farmers, but we are in a spiritual sense. I grew up on the edge of a farm. My brother shoveled manure and thank God he was a hard worker and I respected that. But I respected those farmers, how hard they worked, but they, when they planted crops, they reaped a harvest. And so we have to understand reaping and sowing. Look at verse 8, back in our text. And it says here, for he that soweth to his flesh, a little flesh, reap corruption. That's physical decay, moral rottenness. It's translated in Colossians 2, perish. You see, for a believer, if we're saved, thank God, we, we don't perish. But he's talking here about every man on the planet. Those that sow of corruption will go to hell. They'll perish. In fact, we're all going to die because of the sins of Adam. But some will reap to corruption. And it goes on to say, He that soweth to the Spirit, and that's capital S, shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. 
I, I love that. The spirit of God regenerated me. He gave me new life. One day I'll get a new body, but I have a new man inside. But you have the corruption and the flesh and you have the spirit. Look at 517, Galatians 517, just a page before it says here, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. There's no in between. I'm either in the flesh or in the spirit. If I'm in the spirit, boy, I'm sowing good seeds. If I'm in the flesh, I'm not. We've talked about flesh and spirit through this whole book. And I love then we go on in verse 516. It says to be led of the spirit in 518. Uh, walk in the spirit in 525. Live in the spirit. So we understand this matter of sowing. It's important to sow the right thing. In verse 8 it says the, the word but, of course, the transition word but. He that soweth in the spirit. That's great how God ends this verse on the good, on the good side of things. You sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. You, you, if you're lost, you're going to perish because of your, seed, your sinful seeding, your sinful seeds, your corruption. But the good thing is you can reap things of the Spirit of God. You can be saved, be born again. The Holy Spirit can plant that seed in there and add you know, the seed of the Word of God. And, and then all of a sudden you're starting to grow and you're regenerated. So we see here sowing. We also see steadfastness. I love this in verse Nine, and let us not be weary in well-doing. That word weary is translated faint in uh, Luke 18, one, one, where Jesus said, he said in Luke 18, one, uh, we ought to always pray. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. And not to faint. Or cease is another good way to say it. But the word weary, same as the word faint. Don't give up. Keep sowing good seeds. You say, well, I've messed up. My son's all messed up. Call him today and say, you know, my pastor was preaching and the word convicted me and I want to apologize for some, for some mistakes I did as a parent. I know I yelled at you. I know I had a drinking problem. I know I threw pots and pans at you. I don't know what you've done. You do. Maybe it's a former neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. I don't know who, but you can make a change today we can't go, get, go do things over, but we can say we were sorry and try to make things right. And the big problem in our Christian world today is we don't forgive. Churches split. Homes divorce. Kids leave and never talk to mom and dad again because we fail in reconciliation. It's never too late to reconcile. It's never too late to make that phone call. So don't be weary in well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Don't be weary in well-doing. That's words translated good when they had the, 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 the he said the same, the, save the good wine to last. It's translated the worthy name in James chapter 2. Don't be weary. A season is going to come where you'll reap. And boy, it's going to be wonderful to experience that. But this matter of being weary, I loved Winston, Winston Churchill's speech. Some of you heard it. And uh, you certainly studied in history in June of the previous year. This was a September and I, th I thought of this this month. But in June of the previous year, the Nazis had invaded Poland with no resistance, a little resistance in Norway and Belgium and Netherlands and, 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 and many, many uh, countries. And they just kept taking over Europe. And Churchill knew that many of his men came back from Dunkirk defeated. 
because they were trying to stop the enemy. And he, he, he said these things, victory at all costs, victory in spite of all terror, victory however long and hard the road may be, for without victory there's no survival. We shall go to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas. We shall fight in the oceans. He went on to say we shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. He motivated his nation to resist. They were bombed over and over and over. England was in rubble, but they survived and Germany lost the war. Had someone say to me when I was a kid, and you remember the song, it's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. The Christian warfare is tough and you can quit or you can be a soldier and soldiers don't quit. And it's hard to, to be steadfast, but we're told not to be weary in well-doing. Keep doing the right thing. And eventually you'll, you'll reap a harvest. Then I love verse 10. As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith. Social work is actually not the responsibility of the government. It's the responsibility of the church and the individual Christian. Churches used to control all the orphanages. Churches had orphanages. They had homes for women who needed help. And the church just kind of fell away and the government kind of took over and socialism kind of replaced the church. And now we got all these checks for all these things. You can get a check for almost anything. Now I've checked and looked and I've never figured out how I can get one of those checks. But you can get them if you know how to play the game and work the system. The church, is doing this, and the church is no longer doing the social work the government is. And that's leading just to almost to socialism where we're just going to uh, support missionaries and, and, and maybe give some food out, but we're going to eventually say, we just, you know, these people are all taken care of by the government. Of course, what does that do? It gets them out of church. Well, if you don't need God, you don't need the church. You don't need the church's help. Sadly, everyone needs God. And truthfully, everyone needs God. But here, he says, do good unto all men. Scripture says, love your enemies. Love your neighbor as yourself. You say, well, I've got a coworker I don't like. Love him. I've got a family member I don't like. Love him. Even difficult people. It doesn't say, love everyone you feel like loving. If that's the case, we would do very little loving. I told people I never really thought about abandoning my kids, but I thought about killing them. <laughs> yeah, it, it's challenging to, to, to rear kids, to work with people who don't work hard, to communicate with people who are bad communicators. It's difficult. But we're challenged to continue. And, and always in here, it's a continual tense. We continue to love people. We'll continue to love our enemies. And eventually, you'll reap. You know, it may be a long time. You may not see the fruit. Rick Wall may have never called me. I'm glad he did. I may not have known until I got to heaven that I sowed the seed that eventually somebody came along and watered that seed and threw a little fertilizer on it. Somebody has a good testimony, maybe in prison, witness to him. And he got out and his, his bride was there to pick the fruit. She wouldn't marry him if he wasn't a Christian. 
They kept me on the phone. It was just all wonderful. But you see, it takes time. It takes time. It's hard work. And we think, oh, it is hard to be a Christian. It is. But remember, this life is short. We've got eternity. Eternity. To do all the things that we always wished we could do and to have the, the wonderful table spread before us. I can't wait to feast at that table. I can't wait to run the street of gold. I can't wait to see the pearly gates. I can't wait, but I have a little bit of time in this universe. Between 66 and I guess 100 years, however long the Lord keeps me here. That's not much time. Life is a vapor. It's gone. Rick, Rick calling me brought my mind all the way back to when I was 19. Seemed like yesterday. Yesterday. All these years have gone by and here I am. Don't know if I have tomorrow. I only know what I have now. I'm ready to go. But if I still have to plant some seeds, I still have to plant some seeds. Lloyd taught me a little thing about witnessing. He takes those envelopes with postage prepaid. You can mail responses back. He puts a track in my mouth it back. I thought I had all the answers. I never thought of that. And now I put a track. I don't put my name on it. I don't want to think, he used our postage. Well, the postage is already paid, but I'll put that track in there now and mail it back to those people. It's another opportunity. I had a long problem, and I, I know this will be on our site, but I doubt this person will ever watch our site with my neighbor who used to run a clinic downtown to perform abortions, and, and he owned this club, and he wanted to park in our parking lot, and he wouldn't take no for an answer, and he'd force all this upon me, and then he'd come over and pick fights with me. And I've been praying and praying. I've been praying for 22 years for a breakthrough. And last week he knocked on my door and I went outside and I've been praying and I, and I found a way to be kind to him without compromising. And he was so receptive. We shook hands and I thought, well, I'm going to do something that I do with my church folks. And I reached forward and I hugged this guy. He's a man from a different walk of life and a different race, a different lifestyle than mine. I never could understand why I wouldn't let him park his bar patrons in our parking lot. Well, we're a ministry. I'd lose money, and it's just a compromise. I could, you know, must be a hundred reasons I couldn't do it, right? But we, I hugged him, and at first it was, and then he kind of softened up and kind of tapped me. And I went, I told my secretary, she says, no. She remembers all the time he'd come pounding his fist on our building, and I think we have 20 police reports. You know, I have to keep sowing good seed. Never once have I done anything but be kind to him. But I've wanted to send him to the moon, as Jack used to say to Alice, one of these days. You know, but if I do that, we'll go back, won't we? We'll go backwards, not forward. He's been my enemy, honestly. It's been hard to endure him when I was able to hug him. Now, when he first knocked on the door last week, I came to the door, and every time I tried to do this, he went like that. He says, I'm a racist. I said, I want you to think about this. And I showed him my slides one time on the wall of the people I've pastored. And he wouldn't accept that. It just got continually worse. So I tried to shake hands with him last week, and he went like that. But later, he said, can I do this? I said, sure. And he shook my hand. 
And I thought, Lord, that's a breakthrough. Then I hugged him. You know, I'm not a good example. I tell you enough bad stories about myself, but I've tried so hard with him. Maybe he'll get saved. I'd like to lead him to the Lord. Why wouldn't that be something? Huh? And you know, God would forgive him for everything. Uh, you know, sometimes we want to be under the law so we could just stone him to death. That's our old nature. We really won't want to be under the law, but to get even with someone, let's go under the law. Let's throw rocks at him. But you know, they did that to rebellious kids as well. And I wouldn't want to be under the law when it came to my kids being rebellious. And my dad would have stoned me long ago. Under grace, 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 God's grace. That man can be saved. <laughs> I have a friend who is in prison. He's in prison for murder. Killed a man. He's in prison ministry today. Grace, grace, God's grace. And years ago, I had a couple saved in my church. And uh, <clears throat> he got saved and he was, had a bad background. And man, he was just on fire. Just got right with God and just... And she came to me and said, can I talk to you? And my wife and I sat down with her and she said, I just really, this really bothers me. How come I didn't get that? I got saved as a child. I never felt like that. He's always whooped up about Jesus and I'm never whooped up about Jesus. She didn't understand that. She said, it almost, I'm glad for him, but it doesn't seem fair that I don't have that. I said, grace isn't fair. It covers, like we said last week, it covers Nathaniel and Jacob. What if Nathaniel and Jacob lived at the same time? Nathaniel would say, well, thanks for your grace, but man, he's, done, he's, he's, he's a rotten egg, Lord. And you see God bless somebody who, who's committed murder, and you're thinking, what in the world? Shouldn't he be put to death? Grace, grace, God's grace. Yeah. It covers a multitude of sin. And I'm thankful for the amazing grace. I did get saved at 12. I wasn't saved in prison. May have gotten there if I didn't get right eventually. But God's amazing grace. Don't be a judgmental person. Thank God for his grace. And want his salvation for your enemies. And do good unto all men, including your neighbors and your enemies. Even those who never treat you good. Because we will all reap what we have sown. Let's pray. God bless us. Thank you for your word. Your word's always reassuring to me as I prepare. And I just thank you for teaching me and working with me through your word as well. We pray for tonight as we talk about holiness and choir practice and all the things before us today. Bless our day. Thank you for Jesus. And if there's anyone here who does not know Jesus, help them to come forward right now with heads bowed and eyes closed, is there anyone here who said, Pastor, I'm not a Christian. I only do this every few months. I won't call you out, but if, if you are like that, please come down here. Anyone who will raise their hand and say, I don't know the Lord. Lord, no one raised their hands that you know the hearts. And I just pray if, if there are people here who don't know Jesus, they'll come. Bless now in Jesus' name.